four brothers ride into battle. Man, we're nerds. Gluten-free gladiator Andrew. Todd the Brain Willard. What you doing? Dave the Family Man Shook. Crash and Burn. Preston, Paul Sign, Apollo, piloting the Light Mech Commander. Atomic Power. Feel like we've grown as a podcast? It's a science experiment. So bad, it's good. I thought you were ranting and I zoned out. My bad. The most professional podcast on the internet. Keep doing whatever makes you a discerning geek. The Discerning Geeks Portal. I have no parents. <laughs> Yes, fans, we're finally talking about Batman. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome to the the payoff of the Christmas season and the gift solely for me. Thank you, Andrew. Tonight, we're discussing Batman Returns. I'm Batman. I am Batman. Batman. Dave? I am Batman. And Todd Willard. Batman. I'm Batman. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and, and us, us three Batman will be taking you through the 90s Batman Returns, where Batman maybe finds love, and we get our first peek into what the political future of America actually looks like. Todd must have missed this comment the first time around, but it's similar to a point he brings up later in the episode. Apparently, Preston and Todd were on the same wavelength for this. Todd, if you would, please, I believe you have a rundown. Okay, yeah, and before I even get to that, just real quick, we reviewed the original 1989 Batman movie as our third episode of the entire podcast, so check that out. And I really should have done my research ahead of time, but somewhere along the way, we also reviewed Batman Begins, the first in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. That's episode 89. Uh, and that's a good review, so check that out too. In fact, I don't I don't know if I've listened to that one in a while. I might have to listen to that episode again. But yes, tonight we are reviewing Batman Returns. When a rich Gotham City couple of the Cobblepot family abandoned their deformed infant son, Oswald, he is found and raised by underground sewer penguins and circus folk and grows up to run for mayor. I can't believe I'm saying these words. Batman sees through Oswald's machinations and sinister intent, but is slowed down in stopping him by Selina Kyle, who was pushed out of a window to her death is inexplicably resurrected by cat saliva and now goes by the latex-clad persona of Catwoman. This is apparently a movie and is called Batman Returns. Batman Returns is starring Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Danny DeVito as Oswald Cobblepot slash The Penguin, Michelle Pfeiffer as Selina Kyle slash Catwoman, Christopher Walken as Max Shrek, the real villain of the movie, Michael Goff, I think is how you pronounce his name, or at least I hope it's how you pronounce his name, as Alfred Pennyworth, and Pat Hingle as Commissioner James Gordon. Michael Keaton also played the title character in the movie Birdman, as well as the Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming. This means he's been in at least four movies, playing at least three characters based on winged creatures. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was also in Stardust, another terrible movie we reviewed in episode 46 of this podcast. But she's also played Janet Van Dyne in two Ant-Man movies and one Avengers movie. Batman Returns was released on June 19, 1992, with a rating of PG-13. It was written by Daniel Waters. It was directed by Tim Burton. 
Tim Burton also directed Beetlejuice, another terrible movie we reviewed in episode 113 of this podcast. But in fairness, he also directed the very good original Batman movie, which we reviewed in episode three. And where can you find Batman Returns? It's on Max and Tubi with ads. At least it was the last time I looked when I uh, put together the rundown. Uh, it's definitely on Max because I've got it running now. Whether it's on Tubi with ads or anywhere else, I'm not sure. I, I should have verified my notes ahead of time, but I did. But if you're listening this far in the future, it might change anyway. <laughs> yes. Who knows what our streaming overlords have decided for the future of Batman Returns. Now... As Todd said, we, Batman Returns is the sensitive story of Oswald Cobblepot, <laughs> Selena Kyle, and Bruce Wayne all dealing with their parental trauma and workplace trauma through dressing up as various animals and trying to either save or take over Gotham City. With that in mind, gentlemen, let's have your first thoughts. Okay, so I need to give a disclaimer. My first review of this movie was given many, many years ago when it first came out at the movie theater. And maybe out there somewhere in the recorded metaverse or whatever verse that is out there, because I was actually interviewed from one of the local TV stations exiting the theater after watching this movie. Now, at the time, I was 16. <laughs> And my review consisted of Michelle Pfeiffer in latex. And that's about all you need to know. And <laughs> um, I have to say, unfortunately, I'm not sure that it means as much to me anymore. <laughs> mm. Not that she's not attractive in latex, but it almost came across more creepy now than I watched <laughs> than actually uh, sexy in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. So, um, yeah. Initial, yeah. Oh, I love Michael Keaton as the Batman. This was never one of my favorites, though, unfortunately. I mean, and the main thing is, I feel like he's only in it as the Batman for about 20 minutes of the freaking two-hour movie. But we can talk to that later. Well, yes, and, and we will, we will. And and now I, I turn it over to the man that I'm sure has a laundry list of items that he needs to get through. But your first <laughs> impressions, please. Talk. All right. Well, first talking about seeing this in the movie theater, I have a vague memory of seeing this in the movie theater, too. And Dave, did you and I see this together? I don't know. Were you with us? Because when I went, we got stopped. Like whoever I was with, they stopped. There was like, and I do feel like there was several people with us or with me. Um, but yeah, the local, one of the local news people, it was like opening day and it was a, you know, of course, big release at the time. And they were like, oh, so what'd you think of the movie? And uh, yeah, and actually I made it on TV, but sadly, I think that is all that they got was me saying something along the lines of Michelle Pfeiffer in latex and that's all you needed. to <laughs> Well, I, I had the vaguest memory of going to see this with a group. And I think it might've been when the Kernersville theater was somewhat new. Mm -hmm. um, I think I went to see a Batman related movie. So it would have had to be this one because this was in between my junior and senior year. It was during the summer. So Ike Quigley and John Morgan weren't in college quite yet. They, you know, they hadn't left yet. 
Uh, I think you would have been in between your sophomore and junior year. Uh, And I vaguely remember going to see us with a group. So if you did too, we might have seen it together. But anyway, so regardless, at the time, I might have had a more positive view of it too, simply because it's a Batman movie, comic book movie. I might have, you know, been more forgiving back then. Over the years, I've either seen it again or maybe seen bits and pieces of it and been like, oh, this is pretty rough. Uh, Watching again now with a more mature sensibility and having seen, you know, the Christopher Nolan movies and how Batman can be done better. This movie is more than rough. It's pretty terrible. I've, unfortunately I have a strong opinion. I I wish I didn't, especially with this being one of our Christmas movies. Uh, I've got an opinion there too. (laughs) I wish I could be more positive, but I can't. So Preston, I'm curious to see whether you're in our camp or whether your love of comic book characters gives you a little bit more of a uh, objective appreciation for this or not. It's a Batman movie. I'm always going to support it because it's a Batman movie. Uh, When I was three years old, I won a raffle right around Christmas time. Uh, I believe in, in about like 89, 90, I won this raffle. And it was a life-size cardboard cutout of Michael Keaton in the Batman garb. It still resides up in my attic somewhere. But yes, no, this, this is this is one of what I like to call a formative movie of, let's call it my uh, appreciation for, for women, not just in latex, but women in general. Um, so this and... You know, the Adams Family movies, very, very formative all around the same period of time in my taste, I'll, I'll say, in, in, in female visualizations and representation. <laughs> so as a penguin, I feel like this is one of the weakest penguins. Um, the penguin from Gotham is the best live action penguin that I think we've gotten thus far. Unfortunately, my na- I'm blanking on the name of that actor that did it, but really, if you watch Gotham, you're watching for the Penguin, and that's just a great take and run. This is like they took the character of Killer Croc and Oswald Cobblepot and kind of meshed them together. In, in, in the comic, yes, Penguin is a bit deformed, but he's not like this you know, Tim Burton kind of monster person. He's more uh, sophisticated. There's there's physical deformities, yes, but they're not monstrous. Like, he doesn't have the flipper hands. The flipper hands were very much a a uh, Burton-inspired addition. And the the general idea that the penguin eats raw fish whole and and runs around and is stained uh, onesie, that I feel like that all kind of comes from uh, Burton's and this particular interpretation of the character that's not there in the comics in most incarnations or uh, most other television show incarnations, such as Burgess Meredith plays him very like a uh, man of society and sophisticated that's just, you know, overrun with his uh, indulgences. In, in the comics, he's, he's very much a ruthless mob boss. In, in this one, he he's just kind of a very troubled person that has a lot of baggage that was given a lot of power too quickly you know, from isolation and just being 
you know, outside of society doesn't have any empathy. And so that's what comes back to bite him in the ass. I feel like I, I've rambled on a little bit. Well, one one thing I was wondering, so you mentioned other incarnations like the comics and TV shows. Now, I didn't do a ton of research, but I thought I read somewhere that after this movie was made, that in Batman the Animated Series, the Penguin did have the flipper hands, and that in the comics, he switches back and forth depending on the artist and the writer, and that there's rarely, if ever, any explanation as to why he switches back and forth. So if all that information is correct, and it may not be, but if it is, then that means that this movie did influence some other things. And uh, I don't know if it should have. I mean, when you describe him as just a ruthless mob boss, I think that might have been maybe in some ways a little bit more generic, but at the same time more fitting. I think making him almost like a mutant, for some reason, I don't know, just doesn't doesn't quite work for me. Do you know a little bit more trivia on on whether this did influence other things? And, and if so, are there certain incarnations that have been more successful than, than others? Like, is there any preference out there in, in the Batman fandom as to, to which way the penguin should go? Well, okay. So in the fandom, it, it's always split um, as to whether or not Oswald is competent. He just has a lot of money and uh, people around him, are more competent. Like he, he, he has a girlfriend whose name I'm blanking on at the moment in time, but she's always presented as kind of the brains of the operation mm-hmm. until eventually someone like the Joker kills her. And then he, it's just this ruthless battleship of a penguin that's just out there without a rudder, just trying to, you know, get his vengeance. There, there's some incarnations of that, and I think this did kind of influence more of the um, sympathy for the character. Like, a, a lot of the Batman villains are legitimately just representations of the various sins that Batman could commit were he a terrible person. And Penguin kind of represents the, this is the horrible things you could do with your money and your fame if you wanted to. Like, you could be this snobby, rich mob boss that's just this gigantic jerk. This movie does give Penguin a lot of sympathy. And, and definitely, you know, you get the, the kind of moments of humanity where he's, you know, he realizes that he's just not from Gotham. The, the town accepts him and then spits him back out almost instantly. But there again, that might just be him rationalizing not being empathetic with the people of Gotham anyway, and him him saying, well, you're going to just throw me to the curb. I'm going to go get you and, you know, shoot you with my rocket penguins. And so for other incarnations of the character, more recently there's been a, um, a run of comics that's solely focused on the penguin that's been really good, and it does depict him as like this multi-state, mob boss Mm -hmm. where he shows up in various towns and like he's outside of metropolis because you know he's not going he's not going where that big blue boy scout is no 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 what i'm gonna get thrown off off of the skyscraper no no you're gonna meet me out here in the suburbs and we're gonna talk about this like adults and 
and yeah, he, he's shown is more competent. He's shown is more conniving. He's even shown is more ruthless. Like uh, in, in one of the opening parts of that comic, a chef snubs him for uh, this table that he was supposed to have. He snubs him because somebody more important than the penguin shows up. And the penguin then decides, well, that's that. And, you know, in the comic, it shows like the uh, newspaper article, local restaurant found with thousands of rats in the kitchen. You know, disgraced chef takes his own life. Restaurant burns to the ground. All that is to imply that the penguin made all that happen. Yeah. In, in the fandom, that's kind of where penguin sits. He's either this super awesome mob boss or, you know, just goofy and, and quirky. So with penguin out of the way, Dave, unless you want to speak on, on the penguin. After rewatching it this time, my, my comments on the penguin in this was that I felt like his character was kind of a mess and it just wasn't explained very well i mean we kind of get the 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 quick backstory okay he's put to like you said like you said the intro he his parents ditch him throw him in a river he floats down the river he gets adopted by penguins but then he just like come and somehow he gets this army of circus people to but it just it never developed in any way that it made any sense it's like okay really he just comes out of the sewer. Hey, I don't know. I just thought it was a mess, but that was just me kind of in my rewatches as far as watching this. It's kind of tough. I know a lot of people said, you know, Danny DeVito did such a phenomenal job acting. And yes, I would say he came across as very crazy in this. So good job. Cause that was the character. But, and this is, I think I've mentioned this on other reviews, probably. I'm not a a Tim Burton fan, so I think most of his stuff is a mess and mm-hmm. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I think that's kind of his his trait. He's like, oh yeah, that's what I like to do. I make people think. No, you just make a mess of a film that doesn't make any sense, and then you kind of like put it out there like it means something. But that's just me. So, and I it think makes that's a mess of a film with great music. Yeah, <laughs> and some of it looks pretty i mean you know he does a great job on, on setting scenes and scenery and, and making you feel like it's a crazy place but it's also not very immersive when you're watching batman you don't feel like this this one particular you don't feel like oh this is just like kind of any town you know this this you feel like you could be there and, and no, everything that's happening, like you're going, this feels like it's a comic book. I feel like I'm reading a comic book, and I, I, some people love that. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch the Avengers to be like, oh, I feel like I'm in a comic book. I like this is a great story. This is like this. This you know, immersive. I could be in this. This is like happening, and and ah, and so that's just me, and and so I, I feel like. Which is weird because I, I I felt like I had that more in the first one, in the 1989 one, than I did in this one. So, and, and I don't know if maybe Tim Burton got a little bit more free reign in this one. And so he could kind of make it a little bit more like he wanted it. Um, but when that happens sometimes. But yeah, that's me. 
No, that's that's fair. That's I believe that's that's a fair assessment. If that was what you got out of the movie, that was exactly what you needed to say. Well, with DeVito out of the way, let us talk about the star of the movie, Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> I, I know it says Batman Returns, and, and we'll get to Bruce in a little bit, but this is the Selena Kyle movie. Yep. This is this is a story about Selena Kyle. This is, this is her rise from a, you know harassed secretary all the way to the paragon of sex in the second biggest city in the DC Comics universe. To Michelle's credit, she not only learned how to use a whip and the, the scene in the uh, department store where Catwoman whips all of those mm-hmm. uh, mannequins' heads off was done in one take yep. by Michelle Pfeiffer. Which is commendable. Yep. And I couldn't do that right now. I, I'll probably never be able to do it, uh, something like that because I, I, I don't have a reason to take up the whip. But that is impressive. Also, the scene in the uh, penguin's office where she catches the bird in her mouth that was a real bird and she really did that. Oh, gosh, so, no. That is two points for Michelle Pfeiffer. In, in stunt work in this. Um, how do we feel about the real star of this movie? Yeah, I was going to bring up the whip scene if you hadn't, because I somehow stumbled on that one day, the video of her doing that. And like you said, she did it in one take. It wasn't special effects. I don't know whether it was the first take. If it was all in one take and it was the first time, then that's even more impressive. The bottom line is she does her job. It, it she she had a performance to to put out and it was i guess what the director was looking for but just like dave said uh, i'm not always fond of tim burton either so while she did the job she got it done i don't like the material she's given to work with nor the direct direction that she's given and in the end as much as she might have put in a good performance the result of the performance is something that it, to me is cringeworthy. And to a certain extent, I think it might've always been even when I was younger. And even then, I'm not sure I was all that impressed with the cat suit look either. I, I know that that's supposed to be sexy and everything, but I think I've always preferred looser clothing and, and you know, I hope this doesn't sound bad, but you know, cleavage and stuff like that. My eyes are up here. I'm a person with feelings. The cat suit thing where you're all covered up in either latex or leather or plastic or something. For some reason, that look has never really appealed to me. I think that's why uh, um, in Star Trek Voyager, I was never a huge fan of 709. I know that, you know, when I was a teenager and other people were teenagers around that time and 709 was considered so sexy, you know, she had her hair up and her, and her she was wearing this, this skin tight suit and everything. I, I didn't like that. I was always more of a fan of Counselor Troy in Star Trek The Next Generation where her hair was down and, and you know, she was showing a little bit below the neck and it, you know, that type of thing. And her, her uh, dress was kind of loose flowing. And it, I, I don't know the whole restrictive cat suit look has just never appealed to me. So even that didn't work for me. And so no, in the end, I did not like the Catwoman character. And it's another character that in this movie is kind of crazy, but I think it's the wrong kind of crazy. The same way I think that the penguin is the wrong kind of crazy. I think that the Joker from the first movie is the right kind of crazy, but here crazy just doesn't work well for the penguin or Catwoman. So no, 
not not a fan. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. You know, th- this is where I get to bring up the 69 Batman TV show. 69 Batman TV show is very much this kind of over-the-top, cartoonish institution of television. Adam West is Batman. Julie Newmar is Catwoman. Burgess Meredith is the Penguin. And uh, Cesar Romero is the Joker. Yes, I know all of that from memory. But you have all that, and you have them going to extremes and hamming it up and, you know, being these scenery-chewing just kind of people. And you can definitely see that in Michelle's uh, depiction of Catwoman, but you also get some really neat kind of moments of humanity that don't really stick out if you don't watch for them. Like, the the scenes with uh, her and Bruce at the party, those are fun where they kind of figure each other out. So there's a scene later on in the movie where Max is holding this party and everyone kind of shows up and Bruce and Selena are there and they've been dating for a little bit, but it's not until this point where they both kind of figure out, Oh, you're Batman and I'm Catwoman, And this is just where we are. And there's kind of like this really neat human moment between the two of them, but it's kind of the only one. Everything else is is very over the top. Yeah, I would say that that scene was was okay. Like you said, the way they figure things out, it, it proves that they're both smart characters. But like I said, she acts so crazy at other times that her smart and kind of put together moment there doesn't seem consistent with her craziness all the other times. I like the way you put this because I really feel like this movie was mislabeled <laughs> mis misrepresented you know we call it batman returns but i really do feel like this a more appropriate title would have been catwoman or catwoman versus the penguin you know with a guest appearance of the batman and that would have been okay i think because that's what it felt like i mean the whole story we get you know origins for the penguin we get origins for for catwoman I mean, Batman's the love interest in this. Yeah, he's the side piece. I mean, no, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and and he kind of shows up to do a little bit, and okay, he plays a part, but he was not the main focus of this movie. Now that being said, again, and I kind of equate this some to maybe the the direction, or maybe it was the writing. I don't know. Whatever behind the scenes stuff went on. I thought the character was interesting. There were parts that I kind of enjoyed the character. Even though as an origin story, there was no real explanation as to what the heck happened. I mean, she gets pushed off a building, falls like 20-some floors, splats on the pavement, some cats come around, and all of a sudden she's back to life. And it was like, okay, how did, what? How does that even happen? What does that mean? I mean, that doesn't make any mm. sense. <laughs> it's like that doesn't happen, you know. At least give me a oh, it's a radioactive cat that kissed her or something. I don't know. <laughs> you got to give me something. Why this this cat or these cats were different than any other cats? Because cats just don't go around resurrecting people, and there was no effort to explain it. So it's just kind of left hanging out there. So, yeah, I mean, there, there were parts of it that I just felt like were a mess and were missing and, and didn't make any sense. Um, and as much as I thought some of the, the characters were fun, th- there was no effort to make it like a real cohesive story that made sense. 
and the more that I kept watching it, I kept getting frustrated. I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. What, what, is, what, just why and, or how? And, and, you know, I feel like even in a comic book, I would have gotten some kind of little subtitle at the bottom of the, the picture that said, you know, and then the cats did this and it inf- did something magical or infuse yeah, something, some explanation other than they just came around and she's back to life and she's back to life, but she also has partial amnesia. And so it's like, but why, where, where did that come from? I mean, <laughs> it's like, what, what's going on? And then she's, she goes crazy because of it. Cause it's like, Oh, this is my room. But now I don't want it to, to be all cute and cuddly. I want to like spray paint it and make it like dark and, it just didn't make sense. That being said, I thought Michelle Pfeiffer still did a great job. I, I, I'll agree with you, Todd. I'm, I'm actually more of the uh, the latex doesn't do nearly as much for me as a as a as a really. I wanted Vicky Vale back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because you know, okay, let, let's just face it. When you put the two up against each other, you got Vicky Vale in her outfit. When it's like, who's that? Vicky Vale. Bam. That's who I want versus the latex lady. <laughs> so I'm with you. I mean, I thought that, I thought, I'm not going to complain, but uh, except that I felt like the story was just, there were so many holes that just didn't make sense and, and no effort to explain them that it left me more confused as I watched it. And I remembered kind of why I hadn't watched this in a very long time. <laughs> It's like I never watched. It's been like years since I've watched that movie, and then I kind of remembered why. It's like, oh yeah, because it really is not that great. So, yeah, and in some of our episodes lately, we've kind of gotten into little mini debates about how much a movie should make sense. And one of the things I've been kind of battling with in my own brain since since that's happened is. Are we being too picky about movies and should we just enjoy it? Should it be enough that this is Batman? Should we just say, hey, it's Batman. So we love Batman. So we should automatically enjoy it. Or is it justified to nitpick certain things? And I I think I still come down on the side of saying that certain things should make sense there are certain things in science fiction, fantasy and superhero movies and horror movies too, that are not going to make sense in the real world. And that's okay. And we can overlook certain things, but I think a a movie TV show or book should at least make sense within the context of its own universe, or it should have the right blend of the fantastical and the realistic. And this is just a movie that to me just goes off the rails in the wrong direction and goes over the line. And like you say, I mean, you, you've actually called me out on, on that, how I yeah. sometimes say something doesn't make sense. And it's like, just go with it. But now you're the one saying that this doesn't make sense. And I agree with you. It's because this movie goes too far in the wrong direction. It's like, you know, there are certain things we have to let go, like in Incredible Hulk. How does he gain that much muscle mass? How does he gain mass period right. and weight when, you know, the conservation of, of mass and energy say that, you know, it, 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 that shouldn't be. And I think somewhere in the comics, they try to explain that, like maybe he's pulling mass from some kind of extra dimensional pocket or something like that. But the thing is we, we let it go because there are certain things we have to let go or else we don't get the character. We don't get the concept. And the same thing here, there are certain things we can let go, but there's certain things where I'm sorry, my brain can't get there. It's like, you got to let go of a little bit too much to enjoy it. And I can't get there. And so I don't. Todd, 
Are, are you are you ready for for the Marvel Universe's entire explanation for almost any kind of cellular game? Okay. The Deadpool meat dimension. <laughs> what? Deadpool has infinite cancer. That's his superpower. Okay. And Deadpool pulls all of those cells from what's called the meat dimension. Okay. And that is what every from from Wolverine to the Hulk. Everyone is just like their superpower is tied to the Deadpool meat dimension. And it is just an entire universe of cancer cells that Deadpool created. And that's oh, how everyone gets their mass. That's how, you know, Wolverine's able to heal. That's just that's the explanation for any cellular gain in the Marvel universe. The Deadpool cancer meat dimension. Okay. I, I'm still confused. We might have to discuss that more offline. <laughs> well, I was gonna use this example, right? So there are certain things that I can I can forgive, right? And there's there's just certain areas where it's like, yeah, I don't really need an explanation for that. It's okay. It's just fun in a movie. Um, and a good example, and I, this was kind of one of those that was listed as a goof, I think, on IMDb. And it was talking about, you know, Batman throws his boomerang and it knocks out like three people and it has all this momentum. But before it gets to the fourth one, a little poodle is able to just jump up and pull it out of the air. And it's like, if it had that much momentum, it would have taken the poodle flying, you know, 500 feet. Yes, that is correct. It probably would if that was if you want to do the math and the logics or whatever. When I'm watching a movie, I don't care about that. But when you have something very integral to the plot, like like I said, okay, this person is coming back from the dead. <laughs> I kind of need a little bit more on it than just there was a cat there because that just didn't explain anything. And I'll be honest, I'm I was never a Batman comic book fan i'm not gonna say i wasn't a fan I, I read a few of them i had a couple of really good ones i had the killing joke and a couple of those other ones but it wasn't one that i i read so i wasn't super familiar i'm still not super familiar with a lot of the the history or any of that stuff going on much more familiar with a lot of the spider-man stuff so i don't know if the comic has a better explanation on catwoman and maybe they just assumed that we would all know that so so okay as, but as I, i'll be honest i didn't know it going in and i don't know of too many people that did know it so when they didn't give it to us it was like oh well what happened there <laughs> so yeah if you've got it i'd love to hear it so as as the batman fan here's where i get to tell you selena has no special powers <laughs> selena is not magical selena right. is just like she is peak human capacity, like peak human fitness, flexibility, agility, all of that. She she is you know the peak of what a, a woman could achieve athletically in, she, in her certain areas. The problem was she was just born very poor in Gotham. So she's so, Black Widow in in the in the DC universe. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Like. And so she she has to become a thief, right? And the, there's like multiple stories on to as to her origin, whether or not she's actually a Falcone or, or not. You know that that's always up for debate. You know because the the stories about Selena's birth very wildly. She was a Falcone that was disowned. 
you know, for because she was a bastard or, you know, she was just born in the bad part of town during the worst time in Gotham City. And at, at any other point in, in time where she, you know, born under a more prosperous light, she might be a Olympian, you know, but because she was born where she is in the time that she was, she's just this master thief. Yeah, but the, the big takeaway here is Selena is not magical. A, a good depiction on what Selena's supposed to be, you tuned into one of the best sh- shows television has ever created and probably my um, absolute favorite Batman depiction, Batman the Animated Series. That Selena Kyle is the Selena Kyle that I think of when I think of Selena Kyle. But she has no magical abilities. All, all of this was just Tim Burton being Tim Burton. I got you. With Selena and the Penguin out of the way, let us focus on the femme fatale of the piece, Mr. Bruce Wayne. How did we feel about um, Michael Keaton's second uh, outing as the Cape Crusader? I think he does a great job, but he's in a different movie. He and Michael Goff, they're in their own movie and all these weird psycho characters are in a different movie. He, he still does the job he needs to do as Batman and he's still pretty good. And I might have a few nitpicks on some of the things that Batman does, but as far as him acting like Batman and acting like Bruce Wayne, those things are still intact. Those things are carried over from the first movie. But like I said, in the first movie, we got the right kind of a crazy in the villain. Here we get the wrong kind of crazies in the two villains here. And so, yeah, it ends up being Batman feeling out of place in his own movie. I, I, I concur that Batman does kind of feel out of place here. He's, he's I, I feel like that they, they wanted to do more of him being a detective in this one. Like that, I feel like that's why they set up Max. You know, Max is is kind of the impetus for this whole thing and supposed to be the, the shadow player pulling the strings behind the scenes that leads everyone to the final standoff. But I, I don't I don't think they gave him enough to do because you, you had to work in the relationship with Selena and Bruce, which I, I've always loved. I felt like I've always felt like Selena and Bruce are the best pairing for either of them. And, you know, there are comics that side with me and there are comics that don't side with me. I believe currently Bruce Wayne, Selena Kyle's story that's going on in the current set of comics is not siding with me at this point, but maybe it'll shake out at the end that it does. Um, But no, I've always appreciated the relationship, but that relationship is something that detracts from what I think they were trying to do with Bruce and, and Batman in general in this movie. But I, I don't know. Dave, what are your thoughts? So one of the things that I noticed and kind of, again, going with that theme, I feel like it's forever into the movie before we even get to Batman. I mean, <laughs> I was like, okay, it's a Batman movie. I think we're an hour. And I don't, I'm, I'm very much exaggerating and I didn't look to see the time stamp, but I just felt like it took forever to even get to, okay, we have Batman here now. I feel like as I get older, I just get more curmudgeon My biggest complaint, and I, and I feel like it kind of started here, 
is every time we get a new Batman movie, it's like, oh, we got to make him darker. We got we to gotta make it darker. We got to make him more brooding. We got to kill more people. It's got to be violent. It's got to be this. And it's like, no, for, for a long time, long time, longer than it's not, Batman didn't kill. When he accidentally did or something happened, it was huge. You know, it was a major plot. And now we just kind of like throw it around where he's blowing people up and killing people left and right and not making a big deal out of it. And I just feel like it's kind of gone too far. <laughs> and and while I loved Michael Keaton as Batman, and he's still my favorite. I don't know. He just always will be. I feel, I, I guess I have to kind of agree with Todd. I felt like he was out of place. He just didn't feel like he meshed with the movie very well so yeah it, it just it felt weird whenever he was he was in it um and he was trying to do stuff and then there were a lot of stupid things that happened that just seemed kind of to not make sense you know he's super smart and he has this super powerful batmobile and they basically stick a antenna on it and start driving it for him mm-hmm. i mean it's like come on i mean <laughs> make any sense but anyways i mean so there was a lot of it that that he felt weaker in this movie as well like i felt like he got beat up more than he was actually like taking people down <laughs> so that was a little bit of a, a hiccup for me um, I, I still love michael keaton and i thought it was a, a great role and i think he does a great job i just felt like it was it, it wasn't the right mix um, I want to blame Tim Burton. I don't know if that's the case or not, but you know, to me, it, it felt awkward. Well, one of the things uh, that I agree with you on is the whole Batmobile thing. I, I hate that entire sequence. <laughs> and uh, you talked about Batman being um, weaker. That's not really consistent because one of the little nitpicks I found was that one scene where it's when he meets Selena Kyle and somebody is messing with Selena Kyle and Batman shoots his, his, uh, I don't know what you call it. Uh, the, uh, the bat line or whatever at a concrete wall. And then he pulls the concrete out to hit the guy from behind. And I'm like, okay, how how exactly does that concrete break? How does he have enough strength to pull the concrete? N- none of that made sense. It's like okay, that that would take more strength than than what he has. And how weak is the concrete? And how did he know the concrete would be weak? To, there, there was nothing about that that made any sense. Like a combination of his inconsistent strength and uh, the stuff that goes on with the Batmobile in, in that one scene uh, where the Batmobile is under the Penguin's control. So. There's a scene in the movie where the Batmobile is able to lift up like a a thing comes out from underneath it that raises it up, turns it around the other direction, 180 degrees, and there were tracks. So there's this big turntable thing underneath the Batmobile. Also, we've seen where the Batmobile can withstand explosions from things. And it has all this extra metal from the shields that retract that even that's kind of unrealistic, even in the first movie. But... When Batman detects or, or finds the the little remote control device that's underneath the Batmobile, he is able to punch through the yeah. floor of the Batmobile, yeah. even if the floor of the Batmobile were made of half inch plywood. 
<laughs> Batman would still not be able to punch through it to get to that thing underneath. And how is this the same Batmobile that can withstand all these explosions? It has a big turntable underneath it. Again, none, none of that makes sense. I, I hated, you know, I kind of like the look of the Batmobile and I'm glad that they use the same one from the first movie, but then everything they do with it is just kind of uh, stupid too. Greetings discerning listeners, this is Todd the Editor cutting in hopefully briefly because this episode is already long enough and I've got several things I need to do today a few days before Christmas. But this Batmobile thing is still bugging me. I'll try to talk fast. So one issue I forgot to mention is at the end of the main Batmobile sequence when Batman turns the car into the Bat Missile just so he can fit through a narrow alleyway because he supposedly doesn't have time to stop. While I like the idea that Batman is well prepared for any emergency and doesn't mind catastrophic damage to his stuff in order to escape a situation, this Batmobile transformation, just like Penguin and Catwoman in this movie, is the wrong kind of crazy. First, it sucks that the cool Batmobile has to basically rip itself apart to achieve this transformation, and the Bat missile doesn't look stable enough to take sharp turns, so I imagine the car is now less drivable. More importantly, I would think he'd be able to avoid all this in the first place. We've seen the Batmobile shoot out grappling hooks to aid in sharp turns. He could have shot those from both sides to help slow the car down. We also saw the big turntable underneath the car being used earlier in this same movie. Why didn't he just drop the turntable and use it as a brake? Speaking of brakes, doesn't this car have pretty good brakes in the first place? Shouldn't it also be equipped with something like air brakes or some gadget that could grip into the pavement to help stop it? Does it really have to drop half of its material and change its overall shape to get out of one sticky situation? Would all of that discarded metal probably have Bruce's and or Alfred's finger, fingerprints on them? And did the studio do all that with the Batmobile just to sell another toy to kids? Also, as far as taking over the car in the first place, we were never given any indication that any of Penguin's henchmen are smart enough at electronics to find out how to control the Batmobile. First, they already have a device that deactivates the car's shields. How did they do that? From there, we see another scene where they're practically taking the car apart to learn how it works and or to engineer the car to be controlled remotely by the Penguin. How did they also get the car back together so quickly? Shouldn't the car have some kind of security system to prevent such tampering, or at least something that would alert Batman that someone is messing with it? Even if we're supposed to hand wave all of that, it was just plain silly and ridiculous for Penguin to be controlling the real Batmobile from a scale model of the car, which looked like one of those kitty car rides you sometimes see outside a grocery store or department store, or at least he did at one time. I don't know if those things are still around. Okay, rant over. Sorry, there were a few nitpicks I forgot about during the main review, and I just couldn't let it go. Merry Christmas, and back to the recording. I, I'm Batman. I have a bulletproof suit, but she can basically poke a hole through it with a safety pin. Yeah, yeah. Again, nothing was, nothing was consistent in this movie. And this movie did not follow its own rules. It also had one other complaint, I think, about either Batman himself or Bruce Wayne, but I lost my train of thought. And uh, even if I leave out a nitpick, I think you know my opinion of the movie. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, well, I, I feel like I feel the, bad. And this was Andrew's pick, dear listeners, and he's not even here to like get to defend his movie. But we did give him a plenty of opportunities. <laughs> I, I, I feel like he he would just be here, like, come on, guys, it's Batman. 
<laughs> it's a great movie. It's Batman. Yeah, it's he Batman. beats he beats up stuff. He has muscles. <laughs> well, and that's true. And that's why I think we should leave at least a little bit of time for any good stuff. If there are any redeeming qualities, I, I think we shouldn't totally pass over that. No, no, no. Um, so I have, let's say, three three questions here. So I feel, looking, looking at the time, I feel like I should kind of go a little bit of rapid fire on, on these here. How do, how do you feel about the, the world, this particular Gotham city, first and foremost, how do you feel about the relationship between Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle in this movie? And third, how do you feel about the real villain of the movie? Max Shrek. So I'll start with the, the feel for the, the city. I was disappointed. I mean, I just felt like we kind of came from the first Batman, you know, the 1989. And we had these scenes where we got parades coming down the middle of Gotham and we get to see all these buildings and we get to see. And I felt like all I got to see was parts of the graveyard. And I always felt like I was in the same place. It all looked the same. Even when they were like, oh, no, we're here. Now we're going here. It, it looked the same. It all looked exactly the same. So I was not impressed. And, and it was, again, we kind of already already mentioned we were headed towards that, you know, making it all darker and, and kind of gloomier anyways. And I, I feel like we have this wonderful city of Gotham and I got to see the, the grave, the, the cemetery and the sewer. So, so as far as the Gotham City thing, uh, when we reviewed the first one, I think we described Gotham City as being a city that used to be a city of the arts, but somewhere along the way, the crime corrupted it. And so you see all these statues and interesting architecture and stuff like that, that is the evidence of the arts of the past. But then it's like it just kind of got decayed along the way. And you almost see that in the Batman Begins movie, too, even in Christopher Nolan's movie, where there's lots of interesting architecture in the city and and maybe some artistic stuff. But then there's also graffiti and stuff like that. You know, it just kind of got corrupted along the way. And in this movie, I kind of feel like there's a little bit of that, but not as much as the first movie. Uh, also, they must not have been able to get the same set or recreate the same set because even the statues in, in different locations feel totally different in this movie. And in the first movie, I also remember being able to tell in the various scenes, oh, I think we've seen this street before. You can kind of tell that wherever they filmed that, I think somewhere in London, that they had a back lot of probably just three or four different streets. And they just filmed those three or four streets at different angles uh, where here it's like did they only have one or two streets did they only have one set <laughs> also in the first movie it at least felt outdoors I, i'm looking at this movie now and every time that they are supposedly outdoors it feels indoors i don't know i'm not even sure how to describe it it's just how sometimes you you know how um nowadays when people try to use computer graphics to f- to uh, do uh, human faces and it's not quite right. It's called the uncanny Valley. Like you can't even describe how you know it's fake. It's just your brain registers it as it fake (laughs) in the same way. My brain registers scenes in this movie as indoors. And I don't know how or why I can just tell it is. And who knows, maybe it's not, maybe they are outdoors. And if it is, it still feels indoors. So it it feels like a, a big set, like a big soundstage. So it's a big area, but I can just 
imagine a roof of, of steel beams and rafters and, and lights and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I think the Gotham City that we're presenting here is a little claustrophobic. President, remind us of your second of those three questions. Uh, so how did you feel about the relationship between Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle in this movie? I think we already touched on a little bit. It kind of has its moments like at the, the dance scene. Basically, when she's not acting crazy, it's okay. And then uh, I've already mentioned how Michael Keaton is very good as Batman again, very good as Bruce Wayne again. So he does his his thing right. So there are moments. Uh, but as far as seeing them have any kind of chemistry or anything, especially knowing they're, they're different extremes. Yeah, I, I don't think this movie set that up very well. Which which might r- roll into this little factoid here. Apparently, uh, Keaton and Pfeiffer both dated at, at a point in time ahead of this movie. And one of the reasons why it took so long to cast Pfeiffer as uh, Catwoman was whoever uh, Keaton was dating at the time was like very worried about them being on set together. Oh, interesting. Together. Okay. So, so maybe that kind of comes off a little bit here, but I, I thought they worked well together. I, I feel like anytime they are out of costume and together, it feels believable to me. Um, you know, there again, when they're in costume and you, you have kind of the grand reveal at the, the climax of the movie, it does click a little bit, but it, it also feels very hammy. You know, where he rips off the mask and, and reveals himself and, you know, they go and kiss or whatever. And then she goes and makes out with uh, Max and the, uh, <laughs> the taser to kill him. Uh, yeah, I, I think it works. Dave, do you have any thoughts on this matter? So I, I think the best way I can describe it is a near miss. And some of it was pretty intriguing. And they even tried to explain it a little bit. You know, here's these two characters. They are. They're having to, at times, hide behind these masks. But they're doing it for very different reasons. In the end, and I think some of it was kind of like Todd had talked about, just kind of the little bit of the bad kind of crazy. It was hard to root for it. When you have a buddy, and I won't mention any names, we've had this situation happen in our small group of friends many, many years ago in high school. You know, where where you have this person is like, Okay, yeah, this person may be interested, and, and they may be interested, and maybe these two people should date, but you kind of know one of them's pretty much a psycho, and you're kind of like, ah, I know they're nice, but, but they're kind of crazy, too, and I don't want to wish that crazy on a friend. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, so, so that was kind of the whole part of the movie. You're like, okay, yeah, they've they've got some things, and there's some compatibility, but she's nuts and I can't wish that nuts on anybody, no matter if you're dealing with your own issues at, you know, at the time. So, so yeah, I think that was probably the biggest hang up. Could they, because of the fact that they're behind these masks and they have these alternate lives, be able to figure this all out, but it was just a near miss. And, it, and I think the near miss part was just because she was just a little bit too psycho. 
I didn't want to give too much details because I don't want anybody listening to be, be like, oh, I know who that was that he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, 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 that's why I'm staying out of this. Yeah. I'm not, <laughs> there, there might be multiple possibilities. There so could be one, multiple possibilities. So I'm not 100% sure who you're talking about. I think I might know you, who you're talking about, and, and that, that's why I need to just stay out of it. Yeah, let, let, let us not go down memory lane of the uh, the tortured and forlorn, uh, the young and the restless. All that oh, trust me, if there was crazy in high school, I dated it. I mean, <laughs> um, we're, 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 listen, listen, and, uh, and sometimes your dating overlapped. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to say what it is, but you told me about one incident where I was like. How, how do people even get away with that? Uh, it's, it's something about a car ride. And, and it, do you know what I'm talking about? And multiple oh, yeah. people holding out. Holding, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm like, how, wait, wait, how wait. do people not notice that multiple things are going on? It's, it, this, this, is, this is where we need Joanna to cut in and say, Todd remembers when Dave committed a bunch of crimes. <laughs> well, they, no, they weren't crimes. No, no. <laughs> Uh, but I was, so yeah, wow, we're over an hour. So, what? Preston, what was that third question? <laughs> the third question is, how do we feel about Max Shrek? Again, it, it's almost like a, a, it was just a near miss for me. He was an interesting character, right? I don't know. Like, I mean, we we, we understand that he's kind of the orchestrator, so he ends up being kind of the big bad, you know, yeah. behind the scenes and all of that. It was hard to realize why he deserved it he didn't develop enough to be like, Oh yeah, this is why I'm the big bad and why, you know, yeah, he was a manipulator and he was manipulating everybody behind the scenes. And that was horrible. I I was left kind of confused as to his motivation as to what he, why he was wanting to do all of it and what he thought he was going to get out of it all and what the point of all of it was. And so that, that was, that was kind of that near miss for me. Uh, he's an interesting character, and like I said, he he pulled off the big bad. And again, here's the crazy thing. I mean, I mean, just look at these these names. We've got Michael Keaton, we've got Michelle Pfeiffer, we got these are like phenomenal actors and actresses all the way around. And for the most part, they played the parts wonderfully. the The struggle is the the reason that it's a problem is what they were given was weird and convoluted and and so even though they did it brilliantly it was left lack it just lacked something of that cohesiveness you know christopher walken he just did a great job danny devito i think he did a good job as the big but boy and what what he was given but just still that didn't make any sense (laughs) and i have to i kind of want things to make a little bit of sense so that i can follow them and and understand the cohesive story todd go ahead okay i already kind of hinted in the rundown that i felt like max shrek was the was the the real villain of the movie uh he's there to kind of facilitate everybody else's crazy uh, but the thing is, he's he's much more of a grounded villain. He's basically just a greedy corporate bad guy. And I, and I guess because of that, he could not he, he didn't have room to shine in this movie because this movie had to make so much room for the crazy over the top characters of Penguin and Catwoman. That there wasn't a lot of room for Max Shrek. He's kind of shoehorned in. The thing is, because the other two villains are so over the top that I didn't 
like them, I just automatically by default want more of Max. In some other movie, if he were just the only villain, it would probably be kind of boring because he would be too much of a normal villain. So I wouldn't want him by himself, but by sticking him in as a secondary villain, I like it, but I need more of it, especially since I didn't like everything else I was getting, if that makes any sense. And so it comes to me where I say that I enjoyed Christopher Walken as Max Shrek. I think he did a good job and, I feel like the the movie itself was constrained by the fact that it wanted to be three movies in once or three movies at once. That really kind of hurt it because you didn't have enough time to develop the love story. You didn't have enough time to develop, you know, what Max was doing and, and why he was doing it and what his overall arching goal was. And you really didn't have enough time to flesh out the penguin and, and give him a redemption. You, you bring him in and you kind of make him this evil, awful person, and then you just kill him. And you, like you, you, you give him the whole kind of tragic hero death, but he, he never does anything to redeem himself. Yeah, and so I think that's kind of where Batman Returns sits, is this kind of close enough but incomplete sequel. Tried a lot of things, but didn't have enough time to do it all the way that it wanted to do it. Gentlemen, do you have any thoughts before lightning round? Oh, my goodness. I've I've still got lots of bullet points. I said I want to mention a few good things. So we've already talked about Max Shrek, how he's a pretty interesting villain. The production quality on Selena Kyle's Kyle's fall out of the window was very well done. You know, they could have just shown her, you know, falling from a distance. Instead, the camera was right on her the whole time that she was hitting all those canopies on the way down. And we actually see her hit. And that was that was pretty well done. It went by pretty quickly, but it was still well done for what it was. And Dave, you kind of mentioned Vicki Vale earlier. Could you pass the salt? I do kind of like how when... Uh, Bruce Wayne and Alfred are alone, they actually make a Vicky Vale reference from the first movie. So this movie does not ignore the first movie. See, Vicky Fine. Vicky? Ice skater or stewardess? <laughs> Bruce is kind of picking on him for it's like, yeah, remember that time that uh, I had this secret cave and you invited a girlfriend in? It's like, you know, what, what was that all about? So I, I kind of like that reference. I thought that was a good scene. Security? Who let Vicky Vale into the Batcave? And then I've got one bad thing i got to bring up, but I'll let somebody else take it through. This was one of those movies, and and I remembered enjoying it as a kid uh, or as a teenager. I just feel like it has not aged well, or maybe I haven't aged well with my enjoyment of it. It was not the sequel that I wanted for a Batman. Okay, so my one remaining bad thing. It's bad enough that this movie is kind of boring at some spots over the top in other spots disgusting in some spots but there's this weird subplot in the middle where oswald cobblepot runs for mayor and people actually want him to run for mayor and want to vote for him and it's just so over the top and stupid and it just it makes the people of gotham look kind of stupid but not not to get too political we try not to, to to do that here at least i try not to but at the same time since about 2015, I've been especially disappointed in certain aspects of real life politics and about the people who run for office and people who vote for those people. And 
this movie was just kind of a really bad reminder that you can have somebody who's completely repulsive and yet somehow still have a cult-like following and that people somewhat political and or insulting statement redacted vote for that person and i just that was that was disappointing it's like really on top of everything else you got to remind me about real life politics why did this movie just hit me in the head with a one of the penguins fish while it's at it uh so yeah that, that was like a added insult to injury <laughs> i mean listen we're, we're we're living through parts of this movie currently and and it's quite terrifying to realize the penguin might run for office again uh, yeah. yeah great great time to be an american everybody great time to be an american I gotta say, and like you said, don't want to get too political, but it's just absolutely crazy that every time I read the news, it's like, well, we pretty much know who the candidates are going to be, and nobody, even most of the people in their own parties, really want these people. <laughs> it's like, why? What? Why? <laughs> why? Okay, but anyways, yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you, Don. I, I think that was a, a big. It, it was kind of frustrating. You're like, okay, really? He he does one thing, and then it's like, yeah, everybody's going to vote for the penguin. It's like, what? That's that's so dumb. <laughs> what is that even? Yeah, he he is this weird mutant character who is literally eating a raw fish in front of people, and then yeah. bites the guy's <laughs> nose, and they all just go back to work. <laughs> He could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. and they'd still vote for him. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's where we are in American politics today, everybody. Let's uh let's all salute to Ronald Reagan. Thanks, <laughs> Reagan. Um <laughs> No, uh, uh now now that we've gone down that down that particular road, yeah, it it was a good bop on the noggin. Yes, Todd. Todd is right. There, there's a lot of care in this. A lot of care in the uh, staging, and shooting, and a lot of the things. Like the the ending of this movie, where the bat signal goes on, and you see that it's not Batman staring out into the night, but Catwoman, is always welcome for me as a gift, and, and one of my favorite shots of any Batman film. Any other positives that anyone wants to? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're ready for that lightning round. All right, we're ready for the lightning round. Lightning round. Let me, let me grab my dice. The bat dice. Three. Uh, twelve. We got another twelve. Oh. Uh, fifteen. A ten. Oh man, I gotta go first. Woohoo! Okay. Uh, okay, Dave, are you ready? Oh, okay. I don't really know if I am or not. But yeah, I'll. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And go. Okay. I mean, again, it's Batman. I'm Batman. There's some fun parts to this movie. Um, I was a little disappointed because when I watched something like a Batman. I really kind of want to be able to watch it with the kids. And this was not one that I could watch with the kids. So that kind of disappointed me. Just the pussy I've been looking for. The thought of busting Batman makes me feel all... Dirty. It was a little all over the place. And I'm still confused at some of it. But Tim Burton usually leaves me confused. So we'll go with that. 
Okay, Preston, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. And go. It's a Batman movie. It's really great. And it also helps lead to one of the greatest television shows that have ever existed. The real thing we should be reviewing this Christmas, Batman the Animated Series. Yes, Batman the Animated Series might become my Babylon 5. (laughs) Um, I almost forgot, and I don't want to interrupt. Yet, you're succeeding. No, we'll let Todd do his lightning round, but before we do the review, we actually do have to have a conversation on... This is a Christmas movie, and and because sadly, this is this is how we are reviewing this. This was picked as a Christmas movie, and we have to do that. We have to have that conversation. But I was going to say that for ratings. Okay, I mean, but it, I think we need to have a bigger conversation. So okay. let, let's let's do your your lightning round. But I think we're going to have to have a conversation about this. Okay. <laughs> And Preston, you might have had approximately 10 seconds left. Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Are you sure? Yeah. I, I like the flow that this one has. We're, we're all loose and it's the holiday times and the eggnog's <laughs> flowing. And I'm in the front row and I'm hammered drunk. Okay. I, I've, I've still got a lot of bullet points. I don't know if I'm going to get them all in 30 seconds. All right. Let me. Deep breath. Yeah. Let me, let me get ready for this. All right. Ready? And Batman might just be killing people. He let one guy on fire. I'm not sure that guy is going to recover from that. Later, he blew a guy up. What does Catwoman have against Batman? How much of a coincidence is it that a mutant with penguin hands just happens to encounter penguins in a sewer? Uh, the penguin army sequence is stupid. The penguin pallbearer scene is stupid. The umbrella copter is stupid. The dialogue is terrible. You gotta admit, I played this stinking city like a heart from hell. Uh, I hate the moment of Batman tearing his cowl off. Uh, one Selena have black spray paint? Is she doing crafts on the fire escape in her free time? Uh, the middle of the movie gets somehow boring and disgusting at the same time. Oh, and I still have three seconds left. Two, one, and time. Wow. I wasn't sure I'd be able to talk that fast. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I just thought it was like, okay, you can take your mask off without like ripping it and it's supposed to be some kind of bulletproof thing not just flimsy rubber it didn't make any sense (laughs) we've already established that this Batman is as strong as the Batman in Arkham Asylum video game Batman video game Batman you know rips you know steel grates out of the wall oh there you go yeah this is ultimate DC nerd moment okay do you know why everyone in DC Comics can survive things? No. Throg, the original caveman superhero. What? Okay. Yes. In, in DC Comics, there is a caveman superhero that is so strong, so powerful, and just almost a god. And everyone in DC Comics is a descendant of his. Huh. Okay. He, he, he's, he's like the strongest that humanity ever was. And all, all DC comics characters from the NPCs riding the bus to Batman himself are related to this caveman superhero. <laughs> and that's how they rationalize. Hey, you know, you know, shock waves of explosions would kill you if you actually experienced as many explosions as they do in comic books. This was the DC, this was DC comics way of 
like saying, okay, here's your one little explanation. It's a caveman super being that existed on earth and everyone is descended from. So everyone has a little bit of his DNA. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. Okay. And I do apologize. I, I, I really felt bad. I did not realize I had interrupted Preston during his, his time. I, that was a like faux pas on my part. I'm going to have to like, it's okay. You can give me a steam gift card. Okay. It is Christmas. So, um, but we, this was picked. This was Andrew's one of Andrew's picks for Christmas movies that they got picked for our Christmas reviews. And and we've had this debate about a couple of other movies. Well, you know, do they actually qualify for the Christmas movie category or not? And and I I, I know Todd has a scale, and so I want to get to him in a minute. But I kind of want to know, Preston, where do you land? On is this a Christmas movie or not? It, it's a Batman movie. Catwoman has the epic line, "I'll save one for next Christmas." And to me, that's enough. <laughs> um, it, it's very thin, but again, it, it's you know that that's the the seems to be the going line on this movie right now is that plot is very thin, so connections to Christmas may be very thin. <laughs> There is still enough there to where it's like, yeah, there's gigantic presents under a tree. There's a tree lighting ceremony. Um, You know, there might have been a Santa hat or two. There's presents. There's, you know, fireplaces and snow and and, a mention of Christmas. But, you know, is it a Christmas movie? I can't say. Would I watch it at Christmas? Yes, but I'm... I'm a Batman degenerate, so we'll okay. leave it at that. Okay. And I'm pretty liberal on my Christmas movie views. You know, I will stand up and argue that Die Hard meets the criteria for a Christmas movie. Um, I was the one that argued for Children of Men. I still mm-hmm. I still stand by this as being a Christmas movie. Let's get down to it. What I say is very baffling. Hey. And, and I think Preston said it right. I mean, overall, just everything in this movie is thin. So, yes, there are Christmas trees. There are a couple of times. Think, I think it starts at Christmas when the penguin, you know, whatever, copper pot was actually born and put in a river. And then it was another Christmas and there's a tree lighting ceremony. There is nothing Christmas about this movie. There's no Christmas feel. There's no Christmas joy. There's no Christmas message. So I am one that's going to say that this is not a Christmas movie. It's a Batman movie. And if you want to watch it at Christmas, go right ahead. Nobody's going to stop you. But I want to be one of those that says to people, please stop putting this on the list of Christmas movies that people should watch at Christmas time because... It's not Christmas. Todd, do me a favor and remind people of kind of how your scale works for determining a movie for Christmas and then tell us what you think. Yeah, I've got seven seven determining factors. So the scale's from zero to seven. And if you want details on that, go back and listen to some of our past Christmas episodes. The one where I established the scale, that was in some of our Christmas episodes from 2021. Uh, we kind of skipped over Christmas episodes in 2022. But I've used the same scale this year in 2023 as well. 
And this movie does get a two out of seven because it's unmistakably oh, wow. set during the time period of Christmas and there are some Christmas visuals. So almost by default, it gets two out of seven, but it's a real weak two out of seven because Dave, just like you said, no, no inspirational quality, no invocation of Christmas memories or feelings, traditions, no, no festive mood, nothing about the mythology or lore of Christmas, nothing like that. I'm not even sure we get Christmas music, so I didn't count that either. So it really does just limp into its score of two, but the threshold is four out of seven. And so, yeah, it does not get there. This is not a Christmas movie. And even even the people who were releasing this movie knew that because a, a Christmas movie is typically released in November or December, and this still came out in June. So it's a movie that just happens to be set at Christmas, but it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. All right. I, w- I appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys kind of taking a few minutes there because, I mean, a lot of them we've kind of talked about and, and kind of briefly given a, you know, your scale or, or that it falls in or not. But I felt like this one, especially this year, was the the big outlier <laughs> that we had as far as our, our choices in Christmas movies, um, especially the ones that we reviewed. So this is our fourth and last Christmas review for this year. Hopefully you have listened to the other ones, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Violent Night, and the Santa Claus. So yeah, we had lots of lots of Christmas joy in our reviews this year with the Geek Portal. Now we got to do our ratings, don't we? Um, yes. Ratings. And I got to start off. I won the, the dice roll, don't I? Mm-hmm. Okay. I so wanted to like rate this higher. I really did. I wanted to rate it so much higher because I like Michael Keaton. I, the, the, oh, okay. I was, I was about to ask why, but yeah, he's the reason why. Yeah, I get it. I, I mean, and part of it was this was my like prime. Like we, like I said, this was this was high school i'm just getting to go to the movies on my own i'm not a baby i'm a big boy and you know it's like yeah i got to go to see batman and oh man just the nostalgia and all of that and and now i'm looking back and and sadly i can't do it there's just it was such a mess (laughs) such a mess when michael keaton michelle pfeiffer and danny devito can't save a movie i mean that's a lot yeah. <laughs> that's a lot yeah uh, that's what i'm left with so it only gets a six and a half out of ten for me it's not i mean it's Dang not it. yeah it's not like trash horrible where i would say avoid it like some movies that i've had to say in the past um but it's definitely one that you know you're not missing much if you don't see it and uh you know, I mean, there's some fun parts. So if it's playing in the background, you might enjoy some of the scenes, but just don't try to pay too close attention. You know, in my, in my mind, I see Dave watching this playing a video game, and I could do that. I could have this playing in the background and go, "Oh yeah, I remember that. That's kind of funny," and that be the the extent of what I pay attention to this movie. And in that case, it would be worth watching. Background noise, 
<laughs> now, in fairness, Dave Teague did that with every movie. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Masterpieces, trash, everything in between. He would be playing a video game with his back to the TV. Yeah. <laughs> and you knew it was a good movie, though, when he would kind of pause the game and like turn around in his chair and actually watch it for like 15 or 20 minutes at a time. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I take that back. There were a few times I went to go pick him up for a movie that he was in his recliner actually facing the TV. And there were a few times I was like, Wow, that's weird. Is he in a yeah. different mood or something? <laughs> um, but yeah, this one for me just gets a, and I think it gets the the extra half just because it had Michael Keaton in it and he was my favorite Batman. It probably only deserves a six, but we're going to give it a six and a half out of 10. Preston, I think you're up. Uh, I am. I am. So as the Batman fan here, I feel like I will be judged as as guilty of letting my fandom get in the way of an honest, true review. Harder, harder in the courtroom. But I, I'll go ahead and say that I, I will give this one three stars. I move from mistrial. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. I, I think, um, you know, is it as good as 89 Batman? No. Hmm. Uh, is it as good as Batman, the animated series? No hmm. again. But for what it is and what it does and the visuals that it represents and you know just the place that it has in my cold black heart, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, you know, it, I got to give it a little bit of something just to keep it out of, you know, bunk rate with uh, Black Adam or, you know, Paycheck. God. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on now. That's a great movie. The bailiff will take this man into custody. Mm. Ah. <laughs> Two of my favorite movies got trashed in this whole episode. <laughs> Todd giving a, um, what was it, Stardust, a, a bad rap at the beginning. And oh, yeah, that was terrible. Now you're at no paycheck. Yeah, that was terrible. These are great movies. Everybody should watch. That's what the insanity defense is all about, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Todd, you're up. Uh, yeah, th- this movie's terrible. I think you guys are being real lenient on it. I mean, yes, it might have its moments here and there, uh, mostly attached to the, the performances of Michael Keaton and Michael Goff and Christopher Walken. Uh, those three actors and their characters are pretty good. Everything else, it, it's a different movie. Uh, so I give this a letter grade of a D. In fact, this is the first first time D I'm giving. Uh, there for a while, I, I think I had a D plus and then I had a whole lot more D pluses come after that. Only one D minus, but there for a while I didn't have any Ds without pluses or minuses, but then I rescored some things and a few D pluses fell down the Ds. So this is the first time I'm giving something a D for the first time around. This ranks 94th out of 98 movies that we have reviewed or will review soon, which means it's in my bottom five. And here lately, when we've been uh, reviewing superhero movies, I've been kind of saying, separating out the superhero movies and saying how it ranks there. Out of 20 superhero movies that we have reviewed, this is 20th. It's at the very bottom. So, objection, Your Honor. Objection, Your Honor. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Objection, Your Honor. This is argumentative. Objection, Your Honor. Move to strike. Oh, uh, I'm going I'm I'm to throw, throw the challenge down. Okay. Worse than Black Adam? Yeah. yeah. No. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, now, no. Black Adam, the worst problems there is that movie is five hours long. 
And it, yes, it has some stuff that doesn't make sense and stuff like that, but at least it feels like a movie. It just, it was kind of like a misguided movie that just kind of lost its way. There were hints of something better there. This movie, I mentioned the three good things, Michael Keaton, Michael Goff, and Christopher Walker. That's it. Everything else frustrates me, annoys me, bores me, disgusts me. This movie does not work for me. Wow. I I am blown away. Because Black Adam didn't have any of those people in it. (laughs) All All he had was The Rock. And I was like, I mean, The Rock is cool at all, but he doesn't hold up to like Michael Keaton or Danny DeVito or any of those guys. I don't know. No, no. I just, I was with, okay. Yeah, that's cool. I I was just shocked. Okay. And George W. Bush says to me, well, that was some weird shit. Uh, Let me see. I'm opening my spreadsheet now. If I can filter it in time, I might be able to tell you where Black Adam rests out of the uh, superhero movies. And from the pause, I take it you're waiting on me to do it. Black Adam is 19th out of 20. Yeah. Uh, wow. Because wow. I gave, I gave black Adam a C minus. Mm. Okay. Wow. Um, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. At all. Oh no. Yeah. Oh. See, I, I think I, I know a big part of my rating is in a way, just kind of that desire to watch it again. And while this doesn't, make me want to watch it again if it was running and i i was, say i was at a friend's house and they had it just playing i wouldn't like get up and leave the room where if black adam was playing i would probably literally get up and go find something else to do <laughs> just gonna be like i'm not i got better things to do than waste my time oh um, so, yeah the channel or something man we would we would move on yeah <laughs> today you know just just but every, that's why we're here right because each of us has our different ratings and different preferences and i was just shocked that this that, that, that was shocking that's cool though but it brings me to one of our closing points i will get to that in a minute um, and, 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 hey and dave gives us a short version because it's a long episode <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Well, yeah, all I was going to say is... um, Here, let me help with the short version so Todd can be done editing and so I can leave work. I've got dates tonight. What's your favorite Batman movie? Who's your favorite Batman? And how awesome is Batman the Animated Series? Send your emails to discerninggeeks at gmail.com. The geeks are sort of on Facebook and the platform formerly known as Twitter. Rate the podcast. If you love, like... Or can barely tolerate the geeks give them five out of five stars and spread the word to family and friends if you can't stand the geeks give them four stars spread the word to people that get on your nerves and contact me on social media at josina marvel 69 if you give the geeks three stars or lower the penguin becomes president in 2024 we have these conversations because we are different and we enjoy the variety and we like to encourage you to do whatever makes you a discerning geek. So thank you guys. I enjoyed the movie, enjoyed the conversation. Always fun, pleasure recording with you. Can't wait till Andrew gets to to listen to this and give his opinion on what he thought of us talking about his movie. (laughs) (laughs) And are we rolling? Yeah, yeah, we got to roll. We do have to roll. Anybody got... 
Yeah. So just explain to people, uh, we are moving into season four. And so we've got a new list of items to choose from in, in the interest of uh, transparency. We are, right now are leaving Andrew's part of the list off, partly because I just put the list together today. So I kind of ran out of time. But also, I was kind of going to leave him off for now anyway, because he he isn't totally available. When he is more available, I'll add him back in. I also just remembered that we're going to leave the last, I think, six or seven, seven items of Dave Teague's list. We were still going to leave him on, which means we might still get to some of his things eventually, just to, to kind of honor his memory. And I forgot to put those in the list, so they won't be there for now. But we are going to roll on the new list for season four. Also, uh, we need to discuss this offline, but I would like to name <laughs> the role this season. In season three, we called it the portal of something and we never totally came up with the name. I want to name it something again. I want to bring back the wheel. I don't think it should be the wheel of insanity. I was thinking maybe the wheel of destiny, but I was looking on the internet the other day and I think wheel of destiny is, is something that might be copyrighted or something. So I think we need to name it the wheel of something. But anyway, whatever it is, we're doing that now. The Wheel of Fortune. Wait, that sounds like it might be. Oh, I think that. Time <laughs> <laughs> uh, for you, Saint Jack. <laughs> uh, I got a dice. Okay. Seventeen. Oh, Preston, it's one of yours. Finally, <gasps> a yes. pick from Preston. And it's a new one because I don't think you had this on your list in season three. And somehow we kept avoiding your list in season three. It's just the bad luck of the dice sometimes. But you finally got one. It is Kolchak the Night Stalker, the first TV movie. Or at least I assume the first TV movie because I know there were yes. two. One was actually called the Night Stalker and the other one was called the Night, hmm, Night something. Night Strangler. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I assume this is the first one from 1972, yes. correct? Okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And this, I don't think, is available for streaming or renting, but is it on it's YouTube? It's on YouTube. That's what I thought. Okay. So, yeah, yes. you finally got one. Yeah, and it's Kolchak, baby. We're, we're, going, we're going in deep. <laughs> you're, you're really going to love this. Is, this. I, no, this is actually very exciting because I've been kind of wanting to go back and watch these. You've talked about them numerous times, and I'm like, oh, I really think I like enjoy watching one of these. And I, I sadly haven't had the time, but. Now I will kind of make time and awesome. Do, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if this holds up. It's, it's three years older than any of us. Get, get ready for the independent news service. Get ready for the nightlife of Las Vegas <laughs> and get ready for a lot of vampire shenanigans. Andrew, we did miss you this episode. You did go, I think, two and two today in wrestling. Who's wrestling in this tournament? Um, so, congratulations! And yeah, we're glad you're doing well in that. That's why he hasn't been on lately, or, or it's been really hit or miss of whether we can get him with with practices and and competitions and school and all of that. It's been very difficult. So we we press on and we keep moving forward even when we all can't be here and we hope that we are putting out some content that you guys enjoy. I'm excited about this new role. To build up their backlog of topics to prepare for, the geeks roll two more times offline. The second role was another Preston pick which was Arkham City Movie Cut, consisting of all the cutscenes from the second Arkham Asylum video game, edited together like a movie. It will be the first time the geeks have reviewed anything from a video game. The third role was a pick from Todd, 
which he's calling, 48-minute film project, where the geeks would conceptualize a movie from scratch, based on random elements they roll before the 48-minute time limit starts. It's a half-baked and possibly disastrous concept Todd came up with on a whim, based loosely on the real-life 48-hour film project, a competition where teams in cities around the world write, shoot, edit, and turn in, complete 4-7 to seven minute movies in 48 hours. Stay tuned for those episodes in 2024. And excited that we got to do this episode. It did go really long for a Batman movie. Um, yeah. But hopefully it'll be entertaining for you guys. Guys, thanks for watching. Enjoyed it or talking with me about it. We'll be back here probably next week. And I, and I gotta right. get the, and I gotta get this out by Christmas and it's December sixteenth right now. So so if this uh, episode is a little rougher and edited less than usual, sorry. <laughs> Time constraint. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, you you've gotten two out thus far, I think. Yeah, I've started editing the third one. So. Okay. Yeah, that that's the important one. That's the one with the kids. We gotta we gotta <laughs> yeah. put our whole foot in that one. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that one. <laughs> well guys, have a wonderful evening. You, you yeah, too, you too. too. May the force be with you. Always. For more Discerning Geeks Christmas episodes, listen to number 26 Gremlins, number 28 Muppet Christmas Carol, numbers 34 to 36, Christmas-themed Dungeons & Dragons one-shot radio play, parts 1 to 3, number 80 The Man That Invented Christmas, number 81 Klaus, number 82 Home Alone, number 83 Children of Men, number 115 What You Do in December 2022 Catch-Up, number 149 National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, number 150 Violent Night, and number 151 The Santa Claus. That's Claus with an E. That's also the episode that guest stars Dave's amazing daughters, Evangeline and Josephine. From everyone at the Discerning Geeks portal, have a safe, happy, and healthy holiday season and a blessed new year.